Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Last week, we read X-Men number 12, The Origin of Professor X, where we learned all about the childhood of Charles Xavier. His father died, and later so did his mother, but not before she married Kurt Marco, making the bully Kane Marco, Charles's stepbrother. Charles grew up and became a powerful telepath, which also made him go bald. Uh, when he and Kane, his stepbrother, were deployed to war in Korea, Kane tried to desert the army and instead ran into a temple where he found the Crimson Gem of Sitarak, which uh, changed him into the Unstoppable Juggernaut. But the temple collapsed in on him. We learned he was trapped in the rubble for years. He has now escaped and he has come to Xavier's school for revenge. Uh, he may look like a walking potato, but he's pretty powerful, so we're going to talk all about the juggernaut today. I am joined with me, or excuse me, <laughs> I'm your host Chad Anderson, and I am here joined with uh, three of my dear friends, one in particular. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, I'm going to have you each introduce yourselves, we'll just go left to right. Uh, tell us your name, uh, what your pronoun choices are, and uh, the sh- question I have for each of you today uh, think of a show or a book or a movie that you watched as a kid that you really enjoyed, but you've gone back as, the, as an adult and it's a little bit problematic, perhaps. Uh, so let's begin with you, Heather. That is not left to right, but okay. Left. Oh. But that's not right for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my name is Heather and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm sure there are plenty ones that came to mind immediately not quite when i was a kid but teenager young adult friends is extremely problematic (laughs) (laughs) i loved that show and it's extremely problematic problematic for what reasons um just the way that they talk about queer individuals the way that they talk about people with different bodies and just Things like that. And there's like no people of color in the show at all, hardly. Yeah. Um, So that one came to mind. And even though to this day I still do love this movie, Josie and the Pussycats is a little bit problematic as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's really just a classic in my family and I do love it. And I was listening to the soundtrack the other day and laughing a little bit, but... It is a little bit problematic. <laughs> cool. All right. So uh, my name is Kath Carlson, and my pronouns are she, her, or they, them, just depending on what you guys prefer, basically. But um, so when I think of a problematic movie, I uh, I, I really do think about Ace Ventura, and uh, it, it just there's there's so much about it, but that ending villain reveal is so dehumanizing and cruel and terrible and like um i don't know like it's just i i wish that there were more sensibilities but um me, me and my wife actually talked a lot about how the 90s were just so different and so like not okay in so many ways and just that's where we grew up I don't know so rooting out all that stuff (laughs) I remember watching Ace Ventura as a kid and then as an adult and realizing how extraordinarily sexual it was but as a kid I had no idea yeah it it went over my head big time big time so but yeah but that's it for me 
Oh, hello. I'm Mike, and I'm stepping out of the shadows this time to be a guest on the podcast. I'm usually the one who produces and edits the podcast, but this time, apparently, I guess I'm going to be a guest on it and talk. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I don't feel like I've rewatched a lot of shows that I watched when I was a kid. But, I mean, recently we've been re-watching a lot of the Disney cartoons, and I didn't remember, like, how badly racist Peter Pan was. <laughs> like, that yes. song yeah. about, like, what makes the red man red, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That was crazy. I'm writing a novel that's a version of Peter Pan, and I was sitting there and I was like, I cannot call them Indians. I was like, I can't. No. And um, so I came up with extremely clever i call them the nevers because i figure since they are um in neverland and that's where they're from i was like they can be the nevers and so that's how i got around that (laughs) okay so i I know you were teasing about like the the nevers being clever but uh that is clever af so i I vote yes yeah Yeah, the native neverlanders (laughs) (laughs) uh any other shows that pop to mind i don't know i feel like most 90s shows there were so many racist jokes like even us watching i've so i never watched the golden girls before i know sin but um <laughs> yeah. uh, we've been re- we've been watching the golden girls recently and like even i don't know just back then there were just so many uncomfortable racist jokes even like this beloved show would make so and the golden girls was pretty progressive yeah, but yeah it was but even it. then there, i i think that was yeah, there's just so much of that back then. Yeah, I uh, so for those uh, in the know, Mike, who is speaking, is my partner, my Woo! better half, my adorable and uh, attractive love of my life, who talentedly created the music for Gray Malkin Lane and edits our episodes every week. So we're so thrilled. I'm personally thrilled to uh, have him. I don't know, you cannot see us. I'll be making goo eyes at him the entire podcast. So <laughs> thank you for joining us today, babe. Uh, my name is Chad. Uh, my pronouns are he, his. I can think of almost everything from my childhood that is problematic as an adult. Uh, one of them, uh, I loved the Disney movie Pete's Dragon as a kid. And you realize as an adult watching it that these people were enslaving this orphan child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Uh, uh, or uh, The rescuers, the, they did the same thing. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my gosh. The white heteronormativity uh, of nearly everything I experienced in my childhood really stands out glaringly when you look at it from a social justice perspective as an adult. Uh, one really interesting example is uh, 101 Dalmatians. Like, Cruella de Vil wants to skin puppies. And as a kid, you're like, ooh, yay. But, like, as an adult, you're like, oh, my God. That's yeah. why she's named Cruel Devil. That's why she's <laughs> terrible. Like, I don't think as kids we... I, we all knew that was a terrible thing to do. We loved those little puppies. I think... <laughs> I think, I don't know. I just experience it more horribly as an adult. Uh, so let's begin today. Uh, we're going to be spending our time on X-Men number 13, which was published in September of 1965. Uh, we're going to take just a moment to get your reactions to the cover. When you guys look at the cover of X-Men 13, what are your what are your thoughts? What crosses your mind? What stands out? I mean, my first thought is I look at it and I just notice Juggernaut's wide stance. I, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I think legs... you're on page one. Yeah. Wait, that's the first page? Yeah, yeah. Flip oh. back to the cover. 
I thought that was the cover. Oh, okay. Never well, mind. I am echoing something I said, I think, in probably the first episode. What the fuck is Jean doing? <laughs> what is that pose? Yeah. She's holding an invisible rock in the air, clearly. Oh, is she? No. So I'm like, I feel like she's dancing or something. Like, little... No, it's her damsel in distress. She oh, likes long yeah, that would yes. Yeah. Also, like, why does the professor always have a blankie? It's like his comfort item. He runs cold. He does run cold. But it, can't he not feel his legs? Like, why does he need the blanket there? Like, if, he, if he's in a wheelchair, I imagine... Like, I do I do think a lot of people who are paraplegic and quadriplegic will use blankets or devices to keep their body temperature warm or regulated. Which because is they can't feel it's, it? It's an important matter yeah. of, like, regulating Okay, okay. Condition. That okay. makes more sense then. I'm like, what? I don't understand. Yeah, because uh, if they can't feel it, they don't know that something's wrong and so they do have to be really careful about regulating it the okay. human torch is a big surprise here yeah uh but he's not even kind of center stage we kind of get angel center stage he's like just launching himself mm-hmm. into action so yeah. i want to do something today that we've never done in the podcast before we're going to take a pause before we even begin to talk about a couple things on the cover number one marvel was originally known as atlas comics mm-hmm. and then they changed their name to the marvel comics group and in the in the mid-60s they did this very brief experiment. If you guys look on the left corner, it says Marvel Pop Art Productions. (laughs) And they tried to change their name to go along with the pop art craze. It did not last very long. We'll see the Marvel Comics group back very shortly. Uh, How much did comics cost in 1965? 12 cents. 12 cents! Imagine being like, Mom, can I have 12 cents? (laughs) And then on the top right corner, we've had this on every comic book, but I actually want to take a second to talk about this today. It says on a little stamp, anybody want to read that for us? Approved by the Comic Code Authority. So back in the 1950s, we had McCarthyism, and they started coming oh. up with all these different ways to regulate content of things. Censorship. Yeah. There was all this stuff for movies, television shows, what could be allowed. Uh, when I Love Lucy had her baby on the show, they couldn't say that she was pregnant. They weren't allowed to use the word pregnant on TV. Well, they there's... also weren't allowed to flush toilets on TV. <laughs> or sleep in the same bed. <laughs> so there's all these interesting regulations that you put back then. The Comics Code Authority lasted uh, on comic books until about 2001, although it did go through some changes. But I actually want to read you guys. This is really interesting, and we I'm actually surprised I haven't done this on the podcast before. I'm going to read you guys what they did not allow in comic books back in the 50s and 60s. So if if you did not follow these rules, you would not get that stamp on the cover, and then stores would not carry you. So just I'm going to read through the comics code uh, really quickly. So this is just the bullet points of things that were not allowed. Crimes shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. If crime is depicted, it shall be as sordid as a sordid and unpleasant activity. Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority. Criminals shall not be presented so as to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position which creates a desire for emulation. In every instance, good shall triumph over evil and the criminal shall be punished for his misdeeds. Scenes of excessive violence shall be prohibited. Scenes of brutal torture, excessive and unnecessary knife and gunplay, physical agony, the gory and gruesome crime shall be eliminated. No comic magazine shall use the words horror or terror in its title. 
All scenes of horror, excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. All lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustrations shall be eliminated. Inclusion of stories dealing with evil shall be used or shall be published only where the intent is to illustrate a moral issue, and in no case shall evil ever be presented alluringly, nor so as to injure the sensibilities of the reader. Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with walking dead, torture, vampires and vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolfism are prohibited. Profanity, obscenity, smut, vulgarity, or words or symbols which have acquired undesirable meanings are forbidden. Nudity in any form is prohibited, as is indecent or undue exposure. Suggestive and salacious illustration or suggestive posture is unacceptable. Females shall be drawn realistically without exaggeration of any physical qualities. Clearly that did not stick in the 90s. No. Illicit sex relations are neither to be hinted at or portrayed. Rape scenes, as well as sexual abnormalities, are unacceptable. Seduction and rape shall never be shown or suggested. Sex perversion of any, or any inference to the same is strictly forbidden, which is including, obviously, homosexuality. That's what I was going to (laughs) ask. And nudity with meretricious purpose and salacious posture shall not be permitted in the advertising of any product. Clothed figures shall never be presented in such a way as to be offensive or contrary to good taste or morals. Almost all of that sounds like a real good time. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that pretty much all media now anyway? I'm super into a lot of that. (laughs) I don't know. What are some of your thoughts on the Comics Code Authority? Just sounds like you couldn't write anything complicated back then. You couldn't discuss any complicated issues. Like, it seemed like they just felt like everything was black and white, which... That's not the case in society. So we see lots of suggestions. We see words like marriage thrown around instead of mate. Or (laughs) in Hollywood, if you watch movies from that era, there's all these suggestions or allusions to homosexuality and violence, even rape, but they won't ever say it outright because they can't. But then you get things like no werewolves. I know. (laughs) No vampires allowed. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) This is why, like, people have had such a hard time talking about certain things because mm-hmm. of these strict moral codes that they enforce like in media and social circles I imagine too so you can never really talk publicly about those things where now I think we understand as part of the healing process well McCarthy was in uh, office like in the 50s and 60s right so 50s that would have been when like my dad was a kid for instance and did he ever talk about things that Certain things, you know, that that really mattered? Not really. And is it because of the culture that is presented by this dystopian weirdness? Maybe. Yeah, post-World War II America, right? Uh, very, very uh, prominent into the uh, policing and censoring of things. Yeah. We're not surprised by this, perhaps, but it's really interesting putting it into context. Because these are... Again, these are the books, these original X-Men books are what the entire mythos is built on. Mm -hmm. Now the X-Men have a ton of queer characters, there's Mm -hmm. nudity constantly in the books, Uh, everything's very lurid. Do they go from X-Men to triple (laughs) (laughs) X-Men? Is that what you're saying here? (laughs) I mean, there's probably some porn parodies out there. I should do my research. Oh no. Every time a new writer gets hired at Disney to like write for one of the cartoons on TV, they're told your cartoon will be made into porn. And Disney owns everything that has their characters in it, and so they have archives of all of the porn. 
use like people wrote up based on their work that's kind they, of amazing yeah they have it all in the archives because it's theirs yeah, yeah. it's and not that i do this often but when you step into like an adult bookstore and see a film called like harry twatter instead of harry potter and <laughs> it's it's kind of amazing uh, that this whole ethos exists out there Anyway, that's a sidestep. But uh, our parents, or in some cases our grandparents, because Heather, you're real young, uh, were raised in this era of the 50s and 60s, right? And so, like, these are the the principles or morals that likely transcended to the way our parents raised us, which is also interesting, even though we see censorship changing a lot. I still have opinions about censorship as a father now. Mm -hmm. I don't want certain language or certain... I don't want nudity or excessive violence in my children's cartoons. Yeah. But we've changed what that means yeah. too. They can be vampires or gay couples in a cartoon and it could still be wholesome. I don't know. It's gonna it's interesting. Yeah, to kind of like how yeah. like movies that were rated R back then would not be rated R now. Would no. you let them see gay vampires though? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Everyone should see gay vampires. I'm sure there's a story with a gay vampire out there somewhere, but nothing comes to mind. <laughs> Okay, so now let's blood. (laughs) (laughs) So now let's flip to page one. uh, Where walks the juggernaut? We have Stan Lee writing here, uh, and we have uh, a new professionals here. So Jack Kirby's still the artist primarily, but we also have someone named Jay Gavin, who's secretly a different writer named Warner Roth, who I think changed his name to blend in more. Uh, Inking by Joe Sinnott. We have just a handful of issues left by Stan and Jack here. Okay, now, thoughts on uh, page one. <laughs> Juggernaut has burst through the wall. He's ready for revenge. Uh, over All to you, right. Mike. My first thought is just that wide stance that <laughs> Juggernaut has. Like, he's just, he's got his legs pretty far apart here. I feel like he'd be in trouble if he walked into an airplane bathroom. <laughs> like, no, because that's, could... that's how you keep your center of gravity low. Oh, um, yeah. But I mean, if you, when, you know, like story years ago about the senator getting arrested with for the, the white stance in the uh, bathroom. Yeah, See, yeah. I just think of derby, like playing roller derby. I'm like, yeah, you gotta get wide and low. Like, that's, that's what awesome. you do. <laughs> this is a strange establishing shot. We get yes. tiny Professor X in between his brother's legs. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like a close-up on Juggernaut's booty with rubble yeah. all around. My, my first note that I wrote down was literally, but... pun intended (laughs) now in the comics now juggernaut is widely used he's a huge favorite he's been around for decades uh he's even been a member of the x-men at various points but in some ways in this book he's probably one of the biggest threats Mm -hmm. the x-men have faced thus far he's a he's kind of a big deal here uh, they fight him the whole issue. It's not like 10 pages of them looking for the threat like we've seen in past issues. Like, it's the whole issue is basically a big giant fight scene, which is kind of impressive. Well, that's yeah. because Professor X told the entire story. Like, the, the whole last issue was just Professor X extemporating. Yeah. <laughs> and giving context for this issue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, but it was lots of him just sharing his trauma with children yeah. for, you know, multiple pages. But, you his know, Charles was, yeah. is a dick! And then, the, fir- and then the, you know, and the, and the first shot you get of Juggernaut's, like, his big butt right there. You get, the, you know, your Juggernaughty thoughts going on. <laughs> like Juggernaughty or Jugs or Not. Jugs uh, or Not. Uh, we just think well, I would say not. Well, he, he does get called Jug throughout this issue. Jug or Juggy. 
so Juggernaut in the comics is in now is like well over nine feet tall, and he weighs somewhere around two thousand pounds. In this book, he looks like he's like five and a half feet. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's like a little short potato here. Yeah. Uh, so let's begin with our thoughts on Juggernaut as a villain. Uh, his costume, his power set, his motivation. What did you guys think of Juggernaut as a threat to the X-Men in this issue? Well, I mean, his costume, like you said, he definitely looks, looks like a potato. Um, he's or, or like a poo. <laughs> that too. Oh, I mean... That it, looks painful. His yeah. legs are powerful. <laughs> no, thank you. But um, I think he's one of the villains that his motivation is very clear. Because we've had so many villains who are just in it for themselves and they're like, oh, I just want, you know, I just want everything for me type of thing. Whereas he, and that's a little bit vague because, you know, what is everything for me? Right. Um, Whereas Juggernaut, his motivation is he hates his stepbrother. He hates Charles Xavier and he has spent his entire life wanting to get rid of him, basically. Yeah, and And, in his shadow, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just a very clear motivation. I'm not sure that it's a fantastic motivation for how intense he is, but it's a very clear motivation. And this is a clear threat against the X-Men. Exactly. Well, isn't it just a threat against Professor X? I mean, the other X-Men, he doesn't seem to care about them. He just wants to go get (laughs) Professor X. That's it. Yeah, get out of my way. Uh, It's clearly revenge. He's been sitting in that, like, rubble in Korea for decades. Now, you guys know the, the stronger excuse me, the matter Hulk gets, the stronger Hulk gets, right? For Juggernaut, he's fueled by this this demon, Sitarak, and, like, the more evil he becomes, the more powerful he becomes. Uh, and you learn this in later comics. When he's trying to be a hero, he gets weaker when he has healthier motivations. Uh, but it's a really interesting thing. Now, far in the future, and we talked about this a little bit on our Trial of Charles Xavier episode, Professor X's dark side, dark side gets released and he becomes Onslaught. And the first thing Onslaught does is bitch slap Juggernaut like across the country. Like he literally flies through the air and like lands in New Jersey. Like what just hit me? <laughs> like Professor X is holding a lot a of coffee. resentment. <laughs> uh, so Juggernaut is storming into the mansion, directly headed toward Professor X. The X Men are dazed. They've just been knocked aside. Uh, and Juggernaut starts giving off what he calls uh, boundless energy that he exudes uh, that causes waves of force to like kind of bounce things off him. I think he hasn't showered in about 20 years, <laughs> and it's just his stank cloud. Yeah, sense. I was wondering about that aura thing. So we could just stand there and push people away with an aura? Yeah. That's not a thing that really in later comics, but in this issue, oh. he has like a force field kind of. Well, and it it's not quite like Ud- multiple times. Sorry, no, it's not quite like Eunice. Eunice the Untouchable. Eunice, that's it. I was like, I can see how his name is spelled. Yeah, so it's not quite as effective of a force field as his, but it's definitely there. If it can push the professor's wheelchair back, then that's a thing. It's like a strength of uh, strength of will thing. Yeah, when he's focusing his will, it like expands around him. Well, I think we also discover in this issue that he has dig dug powers too. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. Oh, or am I jumping ahead too far? I thought we were just discussing his powers right now. Oh, we'll get to dig dug in a second. So on page two, we have Professor X giving the teens orders. And no, he he's not says, giving the teens orders. He's not giving the teens he orders. He is Ray. giving Jean orders, but can't even use her fucking name. He right. says, and I quote, 
Quickly, girl, stay with the others. I will face the juggernaut. And when she says, you can't, Professor, not alone, he says, you have your orders, obey them. <laughs> yeah. Heather, do you like bossy white men? Is there anything about me that makes you think that I might? <laughs> Kathy, do you like being called a girl? Never, actually. <laughs> I, uh, when we're reading these comics together out loud, I really, like, I just watch Heather's face for the reactions <laughs> to the misogyny that I know is coming, and it makes me happy uh, in a terrible, terrible way. It's, argu- like, being called girl is arguably ever so slightly better than being called female, but not by a whole lot. No, yeah, that, that margin is very slim. It's a very, very small margin. Especially when it's your teacher who has inappropriate thoughts about you sometimes. But just right. remember, this is approved by the comics code. Yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. That's one of the things I was going to say. We didn't say anything about, like, you know, like, uh, sexism and pedophilia misog- yeah. or anything like that. Misogyny's so. fine. Yeah. And fine. he never it's acts fine. on his pedophilia, and right. so it's fine. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. so Juggernaut storms toward Xavier, knocks him backward. Xavier's uh, ready to unleash. He's so dramatic. <laughs> I still have a weapon, the supreme weapon, yeah. my mutant brain. <laughs> like, ridiculous. But Juggernaut's uh, helmet blocks telepathy, but so he is immune. Also, it's whenever he sends his brain waves to Juggernaut, it says that it is a beam mighty enough to topple a mastodon. Has he tested his powers against a mastodon? <laughs> I think probably not. He stayed home during the Savage Land. I know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> the X-Men met some mastodons. He was not there. Exactly. Wow. Uh, so the X-Men attack. Jean Grey tries to lift Jugger or lifts Juggernaut in the air, which, again, if he's 1,900 pounds or whatever, that's pretty impressive. She's looking yeah. right at his butt there. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. right down the Apparently barrel that's of the gun. What everyone's yeah. interested in. I mean, you start out looking at it, and everyone just, I, I don't know. In those I mean, shorts. That fine impre- feature. That's why he's wearing such short shorts. He wants <laughs> yeah. to show off his assets. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. He's great. Gina's also saying that she's teleporting Juggernaut. That is not teleporting. No, she's that is yeah. telekinetically lifting something into the air. We've had this problem before. Wow. Teleporting does not work that way. No, it's not how science works. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, she's just a girl. Maybe she doesn't know English as that well yet. I'm just I will kidding. fight you, Michael. I'm totally, I'm totally kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I will come across this no, room no, no, and I will no. fight you. All misogyny in this podcast is entirely related to a particular result from our female listeners. Why, why? Why was, would you phrase it like that? I was stepping into the mind of a 1960s comic writer. Uh, okay, now Cyclops turns a force beam on the floor, which apparently opens like a 40-foot pit beneath them. He just, he just like blasts into the ground, and then they knock Juggernaut into it, and he's falling like he's a little... I don't. I don't even know how to describe. He's that falling like Alice in Wonderland down the rabbit hole. Yeah, big time. <laughs> he looks like a little jelly bean being dropped <laughs> down yeah. like a few flights of stairs. He I don't, is it's, going to it's like, the bottom of the toilet. Like a frog. <laughs> but again, he's falling head first, and so they can all still see his ass. Right. That's <laughs> why. See. Oh, he does, he does kind of look like a frog. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that description. He does kind of look like a frog. Yeah. He has like that whole. I mean, his head, you know, got no neck there. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So while the Juggernaut has fallen, Iceman 
drops a few quote forget me nots on top of them. Some big some big ice balls, and what? then Professor X has a plan. Okay, now either they have rehearsed this strategy in advance. Or he's just mentally fucking with them again. Mm. But he sends Beast and Iceman off to retrieve the components of his Mento helmet. I was wondering if this is just part of, like, um, you know, first day orientation. He's like, okay, so this is where I keep all this gear. This is where I do this. So, you know, in the future when I ask for it, just go get it for me. Right. Or he's controlling their minds, telling them where it is that way. What is a Mento helmet? Is it... You know, like one of those beer helmets, except for Mentos. Yes. Where yes. it just keeps Mento them all and you can just... Yeah. the Mentos. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Mentos. <laughs> the, the fresh maker. Yeah. The girl during <laughs> Diet Coke. That would be bad. <laughs> no, apparently, we've seen him do this a number of times. He has different technology that, like, amplifies his powers in some way or another. Uh, so while Juggernaut is down in the hole, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> Professor X is assembling a, a mental helmet, and it looks very fashionable on his head. Oh, it's very shirtless. Like, it, you... but it kind of looks like a beer helmet. It looks like a like like a beer helmet had a baby with a uh, air fryer. Yes, you know, a little bit to me. Marvel. This is about as obscure as I could possibly get. Marvel yeah. has a joke character in the '80s called the Phone Ranger. And his helmet looks like a handheld phone. Oh. And that's what the mental helmet looks like to me. I'll post an image of the phone ranger later. That's great. It it looks like you can just pick up the top of the helmet and say, hello. Mm -hmm. Is it as ridiculous as Calendar Man in the Batman comics? Yes. Awesome. Batman also has a villain called the Condiment Killer. Oh, dear. He's the ketchup and mustard that he squirts at people. There's some real real amazing villains out there. Yeah. really deep. Okay, so Professor X puts on his mental helmet, which then increases or intensifies his brain waves. But suddenly his brain waves are so much that he has to expel some of them right now. So he sends out a distress signal. I mean, doesn't that mean it, his charge is full? Right. Like, is does that mean? So he but he like still has to like keep charging it throughout the entire issue, and then like yeah. as he's charging it, he has to release it. I don't. He ate all of the Mentos. Okay. <laughs> and now he needs to restock. I guess. <laughs> That's creepy. Okay, so uh, page five, we get Juggernaut in the hole. Uh, who would like to describe this scene for me? Because it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened in an X-Men comic book so far, and that's saying something. That is saying something. Well, I mean, to our past episodes. This is definitely that that dig dug power that I brought up. Like, he can just, like, dig through the ground, like... The what is dig dug? Guy. It's, one of those, it's a video game from... It's an arcade video game from yeah. the 90s. From, like, 1812. This guy, he just, like... He'd be, like digging in the ground and you would just like you know just dig forward and up and this is kind of what it looked like he would do he would just go his digging powers he's just like punching holes into the bedrock (laughs) and using them as handholds to climb but then when Cyclops shoots his laser down in there Juggernaut just like digs a new hole like tunnel underneath like he's (laughs) like parallel to the floor he's like a little mole okay (laughs) so if there's a 900 pound super strong hulk level man under your house punching into your bedrock what is going to happen well i mean your pipes are going to burst you're gonna probably lose your electricity and all that but that it remains on throughout this entire episode yeah and no sinkhole or anything either yeah none of that happens 
because that's how gravity works. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You dig 900 pound tunnels. I, yeah, we need to post these images of the juggernaut climbing through the hole. Cause I mean, but his, his force field is on. Could it be that he's like evaporating things kind of in the same way that Scott's... But there's um, not even anything for him things? to run into. Like you this see the not, ground yeah, around no him and it's just green. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's punching in the ground. He's digging a little hole as he goes. I don't know. And so, like, there's just nothing for him to even run into. Like, there's no pipes down there. There's no yeah. sewer lines there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the sewer. Yeah. Oh. Like. That poor mansion. That stuff's not. Yeah. They don't bring that up. Again, he hasn't showered in 20 years. He's not noticing. <laughs> so, this is saying something because we've done a lot of these podcasts already and there's been a lot of ridiculous images. I find this page with Juggernaut digging through the ground the most ridiculous page in the history of the X-Men comics thus far. (laughs) It is sheer bizarre. Any other thoughts on that? Heather, do you agree? I don't know. I'm not sure that it's the most bizarre singular panel, but page-wise, I think it probably is. As a full page, it's the most bizarre. But I feel like we've had individual panels that are a little bit more bizarre. So Juggernaut gets out. He's battling Cyclops and Angel at first. He's Why are they the only ones fighting Brosif? Well, Beast and Iceman are getting the mental helmet supplies, and Jean mm. is sitting by Professor but Xavier, who ordered her to do so. Isn't right. he already, like, sending off the mento helmet signals? Why do they need to go get the supplies? They had to run to the gas station for more mentos. Oh, right. Yeah. They'll be back momentarily. <laughs> it's true. They are just kind of, like, hanging out and not really... I know. <laughs> like, they got him the supplies, obviously. They're, they're, they're just letting Angel and Cyclops fight, Brosif. The other thing uh, Bobby really does in this is throw the like, forget-me-not uh, stuff down the hole and... And he freezes and that's, Juggernaut. That's, we get some ice Oh, he does? Yes. Okay, that's right. Okay. So I'm like, that's kind of... And it's, it's cute. It's funny. It's ineffective. <laughs> but at least it's something. Oops, sorry. Okay, so uh, Angel and Cyclops are doing their very best, but, you know, Juggernaut's just kind of... doing their darndest. Yeah. Uh, Professor X has sent out uh, some, some impulses to be intercepted by people who may help. And we get some surprise guest stars in this issue. One panel, we get the Teen Brigade, and I know you're all wondering who the Teen Brigade are. Well, first it goes to a plane. There's a plane, and then there's the Teen so, Brigade. So did everybody in this city get these signals to come and help? But who's the pilot like, of that plane if he's getting the signal? I think it like showed up on the plane radio. And the thing I'm confused about is he says, oh, we're getting some sort of message, loud and clear. Like, he says it's loud and clear, but he doesn't know what the message is. <laughs> Anyone else eating Mentos right. in the city gets, gets the image, but if you're not eating Mentos, it doesn't happen. I guess. So, uh, the Teen Brigade, there's, in the original Incredible Hulk number one, Hulk, Bruce Banner is setting off a gamma bomb, and he rushes into the scene of the gamma bomb to save a teenager who's, like, playing a harmonica, and kicking it in the gamma bomb site, and he narrowly saves this teen from death. That teen's name is Rick Jones. And he's a huge character in the comics for many, many years. Rick Jones, in order to provide support to the Incredible Hulk and his future missions, forms a teen, uh, a team of teenage boys who are really into like ham radios and CB radios, and they're called the Teen Brigade. So back then, they're actually in the first Avengers. They helped form the Avengers team. Uh, Rick Jones has gone on to have a lot of stuff happen to him in the comics. He's been a sidekick for a bunch of people. But we get a special panel of the Teen Brigade. They're just like us. They're a 1960s teenage boy. We also get a one-panel shot of Matt Murdock, who is Daredevil. His extrasensory perception picks up 
the uh, the telepathic impulses, but he's in a trial and he can't leave. Uh, we will not see Daredevil in another X-Men comic for, I don't know, like 30 years. Wow. So wow. <laughs> we one panel of Daredevil here. So he definitely sent that call to voicemail. <laughs> nope. Quick flash to Daredevil. Okay, you're never going to see him again. Yeah. <laughs> Bye forever. Uh, okay, so uh, Professor X is still looking for help. Beast and Iceman then rush to go join the fight. Who wants to talk about the fight over the next couple pages? It's kind of intense. It is. It's kind of homoerotic. Ooh, how so? I don't know. There's a few poses <laughs> that are interesting. Like, uh, let's see, on page eight, upper right-hand corner, I'm like, oh, what is happening? He's and lifting Angel over his head. Sure. About to give him a Spider-Man kiss. That's what I was <laughs> <Yeah>. just thinking. <laughs> totally. Uh, Juggernaut is determined. He's clearly not a very skilled fighter. He's just right. using his bulk, throwing it around. Yeah. Um, oh, but also right before that, Charles calls Jean girl again, and I'm about to lose my shit. <laughs> oh, yes, he does. Mm-hmm. He says, you'll get your moment, girl. or Your, your chance, chance will come, will girl. Come, girl. What? Yeah. He, he never calls any of the others boys. He knows her fucking name. Use it. <laughs> right. He's insecure He's about his baldness. <laughs> and he yeah. wants Jean to stay around because he thinks he looks real good in his mental helmet. That's Maybe true. she'll... I mean, Maybe she'll like him more. He well, does call her girl, and then the next sentence says, Careful, Iceman. He doesn't say, Careful, boy. <laughs> right? So, is Professor Xavier always in a green shirt in this issue? Because, like, he's just suddenly randomly in green, and he looks like some army commando dude. Oh, no, he's, no, he's, he's in green. green. He's in green. I thought it was... White. Yeah, I was like, at the beginning, I thought it was more of a suit jacket, but it yeah. does look like it's just... Cool. Yeah, he's in green the yeah. whole time. Okay. Oh, also, Iceman's waving his uh, his ice club around. We talked about that. <laughs> so, like, effective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, it's just, it's a little bit, you know, yeah. size matters for him. Yeah. <laughs> wait, so, wait, so this panel, it does show that Iceman and Beast left, but then they don't show up for... <laughs> They're there on the next page. Iceman okay. freezes the stairs. And we get, we get a couple pages with Beast in a second. But first, we cut away to the human torch. Okay, we gotta do another continuity dive for a minute. Marvel was publishing all kinds of, like, romance comics and monster comics, but their first big breakout that really set them apart was the Fantastic Four number one. So heroes back then were, like, uh, not real. They're larger than life. But the Fantastic Four is a family, and they have problems, and they complain, and they fight, and there's all these issues. And frankly, they even lose sometimes. Uh, the Human Torch is the kid brother of this team. And in the early 60s, he was clearly Marvel's like favorite character. Teen boys loved him. He's the blonde, good-looking. He works on cars. He can set himself on fire, which is amazing. His catchphrase is, flame on, as he turns his powers on, which is incredible in itself. Like, he had his own comic for a while. He fights some ridiculous villains. Uh, in the comics now, he's kind of, for, for many years, been... Just like the guy who dates a bunch of women. Uh, he's kind of like the spoiled movie star, rock star kind of uh, character who's like 30 but never really grew up. And Chris um, Evans plays him in the first iteration of the movie and yeah. then they never talk about it again. No, they don't. <laughs> Not at all. Now, one of the things that also makes him interesting is Marvel in the 40s, back when it was Atlas Comics, had Captain America comics way back when. One of their original heroes was a guy named the Human Torch who is a guy named Jim Hammond, who's actually a robot 
that is designed to be human. Then how is he the human torch? So the so he's fin- not a human. So right? Phineas Horton's a scientist who creates a synthetic robot. He has flesh and blood and organs, but it's all machines. And he he interacts with society, fights the Nazis. He actually killed Hitler in the comics, which is amazing. So the Human Torch was a huge character. He's still around in the comics as well. But when they appropriated the name for the 1960s comics, it was kind of a big deal because it was like a different Human Torch. Right. right? So, uh, yeah, we can talk about Jim Hammond another time. The name Human Torch is a little baffling. But also you were saying that Marvel had a lot of like monster comics and stuff. Before the comics code. Okay, because I was like, what monsters did they use that they couldn't use vampires or The Walking Dead or werewolves? <laughs> That's all the monsters. Okay, not really, but you know. They still had they still had monsters, but they would be like really cartoony sci-fi monsters. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, the Human Torch is building a car that he wants to go race on the Salt Flats. Utah, shout yeah. out. The Salt Flats are just down the road from us. Yeah. Uh, but he picks up Professor X's mental image, uh, summoning him. He's needing help. Uh, that image of Professor X's head kind of floating away <laughs> in the thought bubble is kind of sad. Help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Or our only hope. Yeah. Big time. Did you guys, any of you know the Human Torch before this issue? Yes. Yeah, I've heard of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. I saw that first unfortunate movie. <laughs> I mean, his I reluctancy have... is he's been thinking that someone was going to ruin a wedding. Yeah, I don't know. Sue Storm and Reed are going to get married. So in a story shortly after this in the Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman get married. And the premise of the issue, it's actually quite a fun read, is all of these supervillains are attacking them. And all of these heroes are stopping the supervillains right outside the wedding. So the X-Men fight certain people, the Avengers fight certain people, and they stop all of these supervillains from, like, charging the wedding because that's their goal. So it's a a setup. The X-Men get to a guest appear... In the uh, the wedding issue of the Fantastic Four. Why are they trying to prevent the wedding from taking place? I don't understand. You that. learn that Doctor Doom has a helmet that's mentally influencing these super criminals into attacking the wedding. So he's Professor X. I mean, oh. but like, <laughs> Doctor Doom is worse than Professor X. Well, but what if um, a little moonlighting was happening, and you know, little Xavier in a helmet? Maybe they're friends. <laughs> Maybe they're, oh, they're best friends. I don't know. Uh, and Kathy, you mentioned the first Fantastic Four movie. There's actually a Fantastic Four movie before that. Is from, it really? From like the 80s. <laughs> oh no. If you that can find terrible. it, you should watch it, but get high first. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's real It's real good. Yeah, I used to have a little Sue Storm action figure, like a blocks action figure type of thing. That's so cute. Yeah, it was adorable. But also, I, I do wonder why, like, what the real goal was to bring up the wedding. It's like, we don't want them to be able to file taxes jointly. This is terrible. You know, like, why? I think they're bringing it up in this issue because it's giving people a chance to go read the Fantastic Four where the X-Men will appear. Yeah. Uh, Professor X did not mean to mentally reach out to the Human Torch, but suddenly he says, maybe we can use him. Yeah, well, he's like, I dare not waste too much mental energy to prolong the contact in order to convince him. And then the very next panel, he goes, I must contact him again, even if it weakens me. It's like, make up your mind, dude. Yeah. And Jean's like, but Professor, and her hair in that cowl is, oh, sweetheart, you need to switch masks. (sighs) got like the bald guy look going on there <laughs> like the you know 
It's yeah. it's like a little poodle. I yeah. Don't know. It kind of is. She yeah, she needs her old headpiece back. Yeah. Uh, okay, so who wants to talk about Iceman and the Beast fighting the Juggernaut over the next few pages? It's kind of impressive, well, actually. First of all, it cracks me up every time how pretentious the Beast is, even in the middle of a battle. Oh, yeah. He's so pretentious. And I forgot, to, yeah, and I, we forgot to talk about him, like, dissing on their costumes. Like, his is any better. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, is he ready to have, like, some sort of fashion off or something with the X-Men? I mean, not saying that the X-Men's fashion is any better than the Juggernaut's, but, <laughs> like, when you're walking around like a frog potato, I mean, <laughs> you're not going to mm, win any fashion frog points potatoes. there. <laughs> yeah. Would that be frog legs on a baked potato? I don't, I'm a vegetarian. Oh. I'm assuming it's a potato <laughs> in the shape of a frog. Okay. <laughs> My mom's a fan of frog legs, so that's why. Nice. Yeah, no, Beast is pretentious, although I do find him funny. Yes. I'm not saying he's not, he's just extremely pretentious. I enjoy his large words in the middle of a fight. Uh, Iceman yeah. tries freezing Juggernaut in giant blocks of ice. Now, there was a scene where he fought the blob, mm-hmm. and he froze the blob's feet, and the blob wiggled his big toe and shattered the ice. So clearly, Iceman has boned up his ice game in the last few issues. Because he does... Because yes. it works for a hot second. For a sec, yeah. Until, until Juggernaut blasts it aside. Oh, the rock! And then we've got the beast. Jumping all around. Okay, but so... He also comes in. Like, when he comes in, he's like, oh, I was just waiting to see if you guys would fail. And if you guys <laughs> failed, then I was going to come out. He's like, I'm just watching you guys, waiting for you to fail. That's, That's like kind of passive aggressive mother in law right there. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, he's already left the X Men once. So yeah. That's true. He's probably like, mm, so, I'm going to make sure that I'm appreciated this time. <laughs> on, on one page, page 11, where Beast is fighting the Juggernaut, we get the following sound effects all in a row Wom, womp, fup, zit, whiz, zit, woost, walk, and balk. Which is just <laughs> impressive. There's a, yeah, the sound effects kill me. There's a yeah. lot in a row. But he's basically just jumping all around the room, kind of like he's Toad. And Juggernaut's <laughs> like, hey, I can't catch you. Like he's trying to swat a fly. Uh, but then Juggernaut grabs him and By injures foot. his foot. Luckily, his hands are still not hurt. <laughs> but the beatniks are going to be so disappointed that his foot got hurt. They love his feet. We will get back to the beatniks. It's going to take oh, a minute. Delightful. But we do get back there. Huh. And then they end up in the danger room. Which is actually pretty smart. Yes. Yeah. In another context, the danger room could be in a horror film. That's true. Except yeah. you can't use the word horror in the title. Right. Hey, we don't have the comic association anymore. I can say horror. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Beast activates the danger room protocols. What did you guys think? I mean, that was pretty cool. I, I do wonder if it really would have had like been that effective against him, you know, because he's insanely strong and he would have just broken it by standing there i think but. they learn about the juggernaut here like if he's distracted he's mm-hmm. a little yeah off. It's, it's when he focuses that he's kind of dangerous right yeah. and when you've got like flame jets and whistles <laughs> and ropes and it's not I quite don't know, what he's expecting fans and punching gloves like it's all hitting him at the same time and then there's a then there's like a steamroller that comes out of the wall yeah it's a 10 ton barrel of steel oh well of course it is but also, he's destroying the danger room, so how will they train? Yeah. Except they yeah. talk about it at the end of But I mean, the whole mansion's being destroyed in this episode. <laughs> like, they've destroyed the sewer pipes. They've destroyed the 
you know, the foundation of the yeah. building. This, he busted and, his way in. Too. And the power's still going, even though, you know, they've crashed into the building. I feel like if this was any normal building, everything would be kind of offline by now. Yeah. <laughs> but one of my favorite things happens at the bottom of page 14, when Beast in his thought bubble is talking about how the juggernaut, you know, managed to roll it back to the big barrel towards him. And he goes, this could well be the end of a promising career for my favorite X-Man. Yeah. I love that he's his own favorite X-Man uh -huh. and he will actually admit it. Yeah. Because we stand someone who knows what he's worth. If you can't <laughs> yeah. love yourself, Beast, how exactly. the hell are you going to have some empathy for anyone else around Exactly. Because yeah. he's kind of we'll talk about him. oh he definitely yeah. is but it cracks me up every time because there was another issue a while back where he was when they're like we're thinking about you and he's like oh that's a great thought to have like great thing to be thinking about type of thing and it just kills me oh my favorite subject yeah exactly oh, okay. <laughs> right. beast comes across as someone who would also use the word girl to describe jean gray oh as, yeah. he, as he does sometimes. oh he does Dang. is do they beast, all do that or beast is it... likes to touch people he likes to he's, stick his hands yeah. on people um, yeah, he does that with Gene a lot, and he needs to get consent. And he, he also it. did it with Kesar. Yeah. True. So he's bisexual. We talked about this. I think he's bi the whole time. But yeah, he's a uh, he's a little skeevy. But he does summer. need to get consent from anyone. And yeah. He Let's see if he tries to. I mean, I guess he tries to go for Juggernaut, but Juggernaut isn't having it this time. <laughs> <laughs> Juggernaut just smashes him into the just, wall. You're yeah. not my type. Yeah, breaks <laughs> his foot. Yeah. Uh, okay, we uh, have we have. A Professor X problem, one of several, but the first big one that shows up for me here, it appears that he takes mental control of the Human Torch to get him to come to the mansion. The Human Torch is a 16-year-old boy, and he's basically mentally forcing this boy to come and help them fight. Right. Thoughts? Problematic. Flame on! <laughs> <laughs> Is that Iceman's future catchphrase too, or is it just... Iceman will be gay, but he does not flame on in that way. Okay. <laughs> he flames on in a different way. I mean, could you imagine if, like, um, the Human Torch was gay? Like, when he gets, like, super gay, he just go, flame on! And then, you know, <laughs> start snapping his fingers. And... Aww. That would be cuter than what actually happens, but... Yeah. <laughs> it kind of looks like all his muscles are exposed. It's a little weird. Jugs or not. Uh, I'm just going to keep saying that. Maybe that'll be the title of this episode. Jugs or not. Uh, so now we know why Professor Dax needed Jean Grey the whole time. He's done with his mental helmet and he needs her to push her him out of the room and then lift Juggernaut in the air. Also, if she can do that, why can't she just take his helmet off? Be I think it's bonded on yeah. pretty tightly. I think... Because they can't... Oh, I don't know if we're getting to that point yet. I mean, they're going to get his helmet off. Yeah. That, that's how you defeat Juggernaut but, every time. But because be, Beast has to, like, happen. loosen it. Oh, yeah, that was my right. question. Why didn't Professor X tell them that at the beginning? <laughs> Why did he wait so long to tell them that they need to get his helmet off? Yeah. Like, he, he could have said that, like, when they were first fighting him. Because he's a manipulative dickwad. He doesn't tell them things. <laughs> Yeah. But then he overshares like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like ten minutes before some huge bad guy is about to like crash into the mansion. He's like, Oh, here, let me overshare for once. Let me tell you my entire life story. <laughs> right. Before he erased all of that from their minds off panel later. We, also, I mean we don't know that. How did Juggernaut get from North or Korea to uh New York. New York. He has he... dick dug powers. He can dig through the ocean. 
he stomped fish. his way here. There are actually multiple the series trash. in the future. Juggernaut fights everyone. He fights Spider-Man, he fights Thor, he fights Hulk. He's got there's multiple issues. issues where he just, anything in his path, he just stops. He'll go through the buildings, he'll destroy the freeways, he'll go in the ocean. He doesn't need to breathe or eat. He just stomps until he's but there. But the ocean wow. is full of monsters. How did he do that? <laughs> Right? <laughs> so the human torch arrives and again he's being controlled by professor x to some capacity but uh he is instructed to not only blast juggernaut with flame but to fly around him and hit him with multiple fireballs what are your thoughts on the human torch versus juggernaut Ooh, confusion confusion look at distraction <laughs> yeah. i mean it doesn't seem like the human torch is really like doing anything other than just being controlled i don't know yeah. He's... Until he, like, blinds him briefly. He's, right. He's kind of not doing anything that Cyclops can't do. Except I mean, Cyclops can't, fl- can't fly. That's true. That's yeah. true. They just use him as a distraction when, uh-huh. like, someone else could have been a mm-hmm. distraction. Here, have some bait. Like, and then... Jean Grey could have helped, but she sits back, like, pretty much the entire <laughs> the entire. Well, comic, because almost. she has her orders. That's right. <laughs> Okay, now keep in mind, after the application of the heat, the helmet is loose, right? Juggernaut is blinded. What is the easiest way to get Juggernaut's helmet off at this point? To fly above him and take it off a pair. Oh no, you have a telekinetic in the room. Right? Gene, pop his helmet off. But instead, what if she can lift him, she can lift off his helmet once it's loose. Uh huh. Instead, what does he do? What is Professor X's big master plan? Have, have the angel. injured angel yeah. come in and fly over him, even though he is extremely wobbly and he can't, like, he's not right where he needs to be to be able to do this. Yeah, like, he's in a whole other part of the building. Yeah, that, and also, he's not well at no. this point. He's like, his knees hurt and whatever. And that image of angel yanking the helmet off is, again, a little homoerotic somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, big time. The, yeah, mm-hmm. but it looks like he just lifts it right off. Like, yeah, how did he? He looks like he has to strain it? a little bit. A little bit. I don't know, does okay. He's straining. He looks like he's about to hurt his back. In that he's he's not using he's proper get a like hernia. form right there. <laughs> <laughs> Lift still, with your wings. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He's lifting with like his lower back in that panel. He's gonna have some back problems later yeah he's already going to have back problems later let's be real that's true yeah he probably already has back problems from his wings wings. that's that is true (laughs) they're probably like holding him back you know yeah now despite all of this reduction later on juggernaut has been (laughs) blasted into a hole he is dug up from underground he's been tossed around in the danger room he's been hit by optic blasts he's been blinded by flame hit by fireballs now his helmet's ripped off and he's still first thing charging toward charles this man is not a good strategist, perhaps, but he no. is really fucking powerful. Yes. And persistent. Yeah. And but persistent. you don't have to be a strategist when you're that powerful because it's just brute force. You don't need a strategy. You don't have to learn. <laughs> and you don't have to learn, you know, tactics. When yeah. You and so I'm just saying, like, he's never had to be a strategist because he just uses his brute force. You don't need strategy for brute force. Well, and I, I would argue that he doesn't really have practice with his powers if he's been trapped in a thing this whole time. You know? So maybe he's just kind of derpy. So there's, there's a series later called X-Men Forever, and Juggernaut's part of this series. And what happens is they keep getting projected back in time, so their present-day consciousness is in the mind of younger versions of themselves. Makes sense? So 
like Catholic, that'd be your mind and like your 16 year old self for a while. Terrible. And, and so yeah, that sounds terrible. It becomes a running joke because every time they flash back into into the past, most of the time, Juggernaut's like, "Oh my god, I'm fucking stuck under a bunch of rubble again. Oh, I'm buried in concrete. Oh, this is that time I was floating through space and I couldn't breathe for a year. Uh-huh. Like he just he's like, I'm goddamn waiting all the time to just get free so I can fight someone again. And it's actually kind of an amazing uh, an amazing commentary on him. That's sweet. Uh, okay, his helmet's off. What happens next? He gets um, blasted by the power of Xavier's brain. Yeah, right. the, the super power, the superior power, whatever he called it earlier. Yeah. say, I think you also see that um, Professor X has some sort of superiority complex for people who oh. actually gain their powers via a freak accident instead of yeah. who are born with their powers. Except he was so born is with this powers, like was another he? sort of like mutant discrimination in this world? It's like you got your powers from a freak accident. You're no, you're not better than me. I'm better than you because I was born with them. Like, in the this... trial of Professor X, someone posits that Professor X is actually secretly anti-mutant. Like he kind of hates himself for being a mutant. Yeah. And it adds so much to his psychology when you think it through. But yeah, clearly he and his brother have some unresolved issues here. But But he he blasts him with his mind and he says, Look how potent and virile I am! (laughs) That's not really what he says. (laughs) But is there, like, discrimination in the X-Men universe for, like, people who weren't born with their powers? Interesting Because this makes it sound like there might be some of that with Professor X. We certainly like, see. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna, I know you're joking, but I'm, I'm gonna take that very seriously. We certainly see. Okay, so let's talk about the gay community for a second. Even in the subculture of the gay community, we see white men with the most status, mm-hmm. generally, mm-hmm. you know, politically or socially speaking, and then it goes down from there. Where more effeminate men or people of color or women, and particularly trans people or handicapped people, fall like on the lower end of the social hierarchy totem pole. So there's clearly a lot of like status and discrimination even in that subculture. And I do think that exists for mutants. The more uh, quote-unquote passing you are, if you look human and can blend into human society, or if you have powers that make you desirable, or if you're stronger, then you have higher status. Whereas if you look like a quote-unquote freak or have powers that are less desirable, you are kind of on the bottom of the the totem pole. That's certainly something that exists uh, in the commentary of the X-Men. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, you know, the people who come to his mansion, the ones he lets in, I assume they were all born with their powers, like anyone who wasn't born with their powers, I guess... For the most part, yeah, I, and well, and to be clear, some some mutant powers manifest at birth. Most of the time, it's when they're adolescents, when they're like 13, 14 when they is when puberty. their powers come. Mm-hmm. But Charles actually activated in the womb, like he his he had telepathy as a little baby, little fetus, little telepathic fetus baby. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a little weird. Uh, okay, so Professor X zaps Juggernaut. He knocks him aside, uh, and. Uh, I just need to read his last little speech to him out loud. If things had been different, we might have been friends. We might have truly been brothers. But you'd have it no other... Excuse me, no other way. This final chapter was written when we first met. This is the only way it could have ended. To which Juggernaut says, Oh! As he falls (laughs) over, unconscious. Finally defeated. We will see Juggernaut again uh, in, uh, I think, X-Men number 31 is when he comes back. So it's a couple years away, publication-wise. Uh, but what did you guys think of this resolution before we get to the four panels? Oh, are we getting, to, like, the, we'll are get we to, getting the, to that part? Before we get to that part, the four final panels, what was your thought on how this all resolved? 
It was slightly so, anticlimactic. Couldn't have, like, Professor X just used his mental telepathy to take off the helmet and then... I don't think telepathy... That's that's still a kinesis that can move things. Oh, so can he not use He can't move things with his mind. He oh. only, he's only telepathic. But Jean Grey can do that. Correct. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, mystically bonded. It's actually yeah, pretty hard to get his helmet He off. talks okay. about how it protects him against, like, Professor X's power, and so I wonder if it's the same kind of thing... If it has defense against, like, telekinesis, so that doesn't happen. Well, those legs aren't... <laughs> those legs aren't, aren't, aren't um, protected, so... Well, but he's like... But look at those legs, super, do they super strong need to be protected? You're right, you're right. That's <laughs> the strongest asset right there, his lower body. Helps him run. So, in, in one light, we've just had this epic superhero battle with a really nice conclusion. Yep. In another light, Professor X lied to his students, mentally manipulated a teenage boy from another team to come help him fight, put his students at unnecessary risk, and then showed his brother, I have a bigger dick than you, and knocked him unconscious. Well, and, and like, when he could have <clears throat> had him, like, frozen, you know, or like, like not, not frozen by Bobby, but, like, still for a little bit and explain some things and have a real talk with him and maybe But I'm not sure that that would have worked. I don't know that it would have either. Because I think after so long, like, digging himself out of the cave in Korea, driven only by his hatred for Charles, I'm not sure that Kane would have even been willing to hear that. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Efforts at rehabilitation could come later, but I think in this moment, they had to zap him unconscious. Okay, that's fair. At least he didn't mind wipe him. We've seen him do that with other villains. Like, you will never remember mind mind wipes everybody else too, though. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) Okay, so Professor X defeats Juggernaut, and then what happens next? He mind wipes the flaming torch, or... Human torch. Human torch. (laughs) (laughs) He just, like, erases his memories. But, like, why? That's what I don't yeah. get. Why did he just do that? Why? Like, why doesn't he want people to remember the juggernaut? I don't... Uh, it may be because he wants his base to be a secret, or he mm. doesn't want to know... Uh, people to know where he is or what the mutants are. I don't know. What are you, Maybe he's embarrassed? What are your thoughts? Why did he mind wipe him? Because Charles is a dick. I... <laughs> Perhaps because he mentally forced a 16-year-old to do a thing and didn't want him to remember afterwards. Right, and didn't want him telling the rest of his family. Doesn't want people to know that the X-Men might need help sometimes. I I have no idea. I, I don't understand why he had to wipe his memory. And did he wipe the memories of everyone else too? I don't. Think I don't think so. so. It doesn't say it out loud. But we, yeah, poor, poor, poor Johnny or the Human Torch gets back home and he's like, "Oh, I must have been daydreaming. How did I get so far away?" Yeah. Like, uh, poor guy. I must really be getting absent-minded in my old age. You're 16, bruh. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we get the final, final two panels. All four of the boy X-Men are injured. They, uh, he, he, okay, so Cyclops says, we've never all been injured at the same time before. And, uh, Iceman says, who cares? With a nurse like Jean, it's a pleasure. And Beast, <laughs> and Beast says, my mother used to kiss me to expedite my recovery. To which Jean says, I do not happen to be your mother, Mr. McCoy. And Cyclops says, no, that's uh, Angel. Uh, Angel, excuse me, Angel says, that's for sure. <laughs> at least they're calling her Jean. <laughs> but, but at the same time, is this why Professor X like wouldn't let her go into battle? Because he's like, you need to take care of everybody after this. They've already made her the cook. Now she's the nurse. Right. That kind of carries like, over to the first movies too. How so? Just like um, she uh, when when 
Wolverine is injured. She nurses him when yeah. the I think it's the second X two, but when the Blob Senator yes <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. gets in the place, she nurses him too. And well, because yeah. Storm's not gonna do it. She's a fucking queen. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> uh, or a goddess. She but so yeah. she's not gonna do it. Yeah. I feel like you have feelings about this Jean as nurse. I always have feelings about how they treat Jean. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, who's the creepiest in this panel? Well, Beast, of course. Mm, yeah, Beast is... trying to get a kiss from her. He's like, although... My mother used to kiss me. Although Bobby's not much better. Because <laughs> yeah. with a nurse like Jean, it's a pleasure to be injured. Like, shut up, Bobby. Poor closeted Bobby. Just blended in with his friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, and then we have one final dick move from Professor X. What happens? He makes them clean up the mess. Well, he's going to. Oh, make he's them. going. Okay. Hey, everyone, I'm rewarding you with brooms. I know you're all injured, but go clean up this goddamn mess. Right? Yeah. <laughs> The school is in shambles after your fight, and somebody has to tidy it up. Ha ha ha. Oh. Okay, thinking about this issue, do you have a star player? Who was your favorite, and do you have a singular favorite moment from this issue? So, I know that my favorite moment is when the Beast calls himself his favorite X-Man, because <laughs> that really just tickled me to no end. Yeah. I think my star player might have been Johnny Storm actually because he was trying to like protect his family so he's like no I'm not going to believe that this is actually like Professor X asking for help but then I mean he's being a little bit mind controlled but like he goes in and he helps them defeat him the juggernaut even though he's not actually part of their team and so you know he's a good guy it's a little little against his will like I said he's a little bit mind controlled but like (laughs) also he he, I'm not saying that he full on gave Professor X permission, but he was like, "Yeah, you can get, you can control where I go right now, so you can get me where I need to be to help y'all." But then Professor X just keeps controlling him. But not the point. But like, he's still a good guy because he's like, "Oh yeah, I can come help," even though it's not his team. He doesn't have any alliance to them. He left his whole race car behind. Exactly. Yeah. What's he gonna do in the salt flats? But yeah, so he's. I, I like Johnny. How about you, Kathy? Um, I, I mean, I would say my uh, favorite is probably Bobby because he was useless, but also <laughs> just kind of there and like I don't know. He was like when he was there, he was funny, except at the end when he's kind of a dick. But also, uh, MVP is definitely Angel in my opinion. Like um, doing his best to protect Cyclops the whole time, buying the rest of the team uh, time to put everything together. And then coming back for, for in the end and making it happen. It's it's a good teammate to have, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Angel, too. Like, he was there from the start to the end. Like, nobody else was. Like, Cyclops got was out, and then Beast Kit was like, Oh, I guess you guys are all gone, so I'll come help out. And then he was done for, and then Angel somehow was able to was the one who was able to undo because the he's being a straps. little bit mind controlled yeah <laughs> that too yeah. yeah and did you guys have a favorite moment that stood out I did like Dig Dug I, I, <laughs> yeah I was gonna say I think the Dig Dug moment where 
Juggernaut is like under the ground, just kind of punching his way through walls is probably the best part. Yeah, Dig Dug was also my favorite. I'm gonna spread my team player, uh, uh, my favorite star player to two people. Angel wins because he was putting himself at most risk, most consistently. Mm-hmm. I was impressed with his bravery. Uh, and Juggernaut wins because much like him, I want to punch Charles Xavier. <laughs> uh, Who doesn't? <laughs> and he's a fun villain. I really, I'm really fond of him throughout the comic books. I well, think he's He great. just wanted to win, you know, like, come on. <laughs> uh, let's flip the page to the cover of X-Men 14, which we'll be reviewing next week. And let me just hear your initial reactions to Among Us stock the Sentinels. What is happening? Is that Sentinel like a magician? He looks like he's, or... I think he's doing a flash dance. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, he looks saying, like, he looks like one of those like high-tech DJs who's like, okay, here we go. And then like, gonna start his show. That's awesome. And they're just like clamoring to get to the concert, really. And yeah, exactly. See, I just figured he's maybe some like Christian preacher who's like raising <laughs> his hands to Evangelical. God. Evangelical. Like, yeah. You feel, you feel the power of God. The yeah. power yes. of Christ compels you. <laughs> heal of your mood. <laughs> Send me heal a credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Touch the screen and I'll heal you. Demons be gone. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, next issue, we really, for the first time, get anti-mutant sentiment sentiment solidified as we see the government building a program to seek to contain mutants uh so we, we get to we get to see the sentinels the sentinel run lasts for four issues wow so oh. we we begin with x-men 14 and we're going to be our next four episodes will be all about the sentinels and where they come from and what happens and there's some really campy delicious awful amazing things uh so uh, Heather and Kathy and Michael, uh, my love, thank you for joining us today. I hope you had a wonderful time. If you would like to tell people where they can find you on social media, you are welcome to do so. It is not a requirement. Uh, you can find me at uh, at Graymalkin P, P for podcast on Twitter, or just Graymalkin Lane on Instagram. I'm pretty active and interactive on both of those. Uh, we also have some really fun things, collaborations with other podcasts. In our next episode, for example... Uh, We have Justin and Alicia from the Ex-Wife podcast joining us, which we're super happy about, and we can't wait to collaborate. Uh, For the others, where can people find you if you would like to share? Um, My Instagram and Twitter are the same. It's at Heather underscore Beth underscore. Um, I'm kind of hard to find on on social media because of settings and stuff, but uh, with Twitter at least, it's at Kay Carlson and... uh, it's private, but go ahead and send me a request. And Mine's I'll private too, but you can send a request. Yeah. So. Well, I'm not really much on social media, so it's, yeah, you're not, you're probably not going to find me. No, he's just on my social media. <laughs> if you want to see pictures of my handsome boyfriend, come follow me. Yeah, follow Chad. <laughs> Maybe in the future. Okay, everybody. Hey, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time uh, for Among Us on the Sentinels on Grey Malkin Lane, episode 14. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>